start off. The most formidable uh, halakhic uh, question that uh, is precipitated by celebrating Thanksgiving is not the, the day itself, but of course is eating uh, the turkey. As we just mentioned a moment ago, the Torah in Parsha Shmini provides us with simanim, with signs to differentiate between those animals that are kosher and uh, those that one is not allowed to eat, between those fish that one is allowed to eat and those that he's not allowed to eat. But birds, the Torah does not provide us with any simonim. Uh, the Torah just gives us 24 birds, uh, itemizes them, identifies them as being those that are prohibited, and the assumption is that all the others are permitted. The, the problem arises in that uh, even though initially Moshe Rabbeinu presumably was given <coughs> um, examples, they were identified, these 24 birds to Moshe Rabbeinu, um, it, throughout the generations, it becomes much more difficult to continue uh, you know, an awareness or knowledge of which birds are those 24 that are identified, that are singled out by the Torah as being uh, prohibited. And to just rely on the same names from generation to generation is difficult, unless uh, names change. And unless one is an ornithologist to know the difference between oh, this species and that species, which are somewhat similar, becomes, uh, becomes difficult. So throughout the generations, it was somewhat lost. And in fact, um, the art scroll, if you look at the art scroll translation in Parashashmini of those birds that are prohibited, the art scroll just transliterates the names. It doesn't translate them for you and give you a species of bird. Uh, and that's based on the precedent of Rabbi Hirsch and his Chumash. He also just transliterates the, the, the names. He doesn't uh, translate them for you. We have Arya Kaplan in his Living Torah Chumash gives you what is the best, you know, assumption, the, the best educated guess to what these birds are, but it's certainly not conclusive uh, in any uh, halachic sense, and, and not that, um, and not that uh, convincing, therefore. So, how do we differentiate between those birds that are permitted and those um, that are, are prohibited, if we're not necessarily aware of which those 24 birds are uh, Specifically, so the Mishnah tells us in Masech Deschul and Adaf Nutesim at Aleph, even though we don't have simanim uh, for an oath provided for us by the Torah, nonetheless, about Amru Chachamim, in the middle of the first line, Kol Oif Hadores Tamei, any oif which is a bird of prey is Tamei is prohibited. How do you know uh, if a bird is a bird of prey? There are three simanim, Kol Sheyesh La Ezba Yaseira, if it has an extra toe, Vizekef, or a crop, Vekurkovano, Niklav Tahar. And if it has a, uh, a uh, korkavan, a gizzard, a pupik, which can be uh, peeled away, uh, if it has all, those three of the, all, the, all three of those items, an extra toe, the crop, and the korkavan, which is niklaf, the um, gizzard, which can be peeled away, then one knows it is not an oif hadoires, it is not a uh, predatory a, a bird of prey, and one is allowed uh, to eat the bird. Where did Chazal know that all the 24 birds that are provided for us by the Torah as being prohibited are all birds of prey, and every bird that's permitted, uh, every bird that's not a bird of prey is permi- uh, permitted. It never says that anywhere in the Torah. So the Torah writes in Masech Tzchulin that this was a Kabbalah from the days of Noach. The Shema Kabbalah Haisa Mimos Noach, Shehikrav Mikol Oif Tahar Kulam. He became an expert uh, zoologist, I guess, the first zoologist, and he knew which, uh, he saw the common denominator amongst all those birds that are pro- prohibited is that they are all uh, birds of prey. How does one tell the difference between a bird of prey and a bird of prey? So the Mishnah gives us those three simonim. In fact, the Ramban uh, perhaps offers uh, an additional, you know, explains the significance of the fact that all the birds that are prohibited are birds of prey. When the Ramban writes in Parsha Shmini, because they are uh, cruel birds, birds of prey. 
And therefore, says the Ramban, we shouldn't consume, we shouldn't ingest these kinds of birds because then we will uh, take on, adopt those same characteristics perhaps ourselves. And the Ramban expands this theme to include uh, chewing its cud and having split hooves. All of these represent uh, harmful and negative character traits. And if a person eats them, then he could uh, acquire those, uh, those harmful uh, character traits. So, okay, so all birds that are birds of prey are prohibited, but writes the Rambanim, if you know that it is not a bird of prey, mutter. question is, how does one tell if it's a bird of prey or not? So the Mishnah gave us in Chulin those three simonim, an extra toe, the zekef, the crop, and the gizzard, which is peeled away. The Balamar writes that there's another simon, which is, I presume, we developed in the time of the Rishonim. It doesn't appear in the Gemara, and that is if it has a big beak and webbed feet, like a goose, then you also know that it is not a bird of prey. Okay, so the Rishonim, and uh, it starts with the Mishnah, give us perhaps indicators to how we could tell if it's a bird of prey uh, or not. And it was a Messiah from the days of Noach that a bird of prey is prohibited, and all the birds that are not birds of prey are permitted. Nonetheless, it becomes difficult. Even though Tzachazal gave us the Simanim, applying the Simanim seems to be not as easy as it sounds. The Gemara tells us in Masech Tzachulin over here, Oizdalit, that there was a certain Tarni Goyla Da Agma, a, a marsh chicken, or a chicken from the swamp. So the Gemara says, da'agma asira. If it's a male uh, chicken from the marsh, then it's prohibited. da'agma. If it's female, it's sharia, it's allowed. So the simanech, just as a mnemonic, you know, it's similar to the halacha, not related at all, but amayni aminus, that one is not allowed to marry, uh, intermarry, uh, one of the uh, people from the nation of Ammon is not allowed to marry into the Kla- into uh, Klal Yisrael, but that's only the males. Ammonis is allowed to marry, and as we know from uh, Megillus Rus. So the male, Tarnigolta da Agma, was prohibited, the female was allowed. But the Gemara continues, Darish Meremar, Tarnigolta da Agma Asira. No, later on they concluded that even the female was prohibited, because Chazyua the Darsa Viochla, they saw that in fact it was acting in a very aggressive manner, like a bird of prey, and they prohibited it. So how did they permit it in the first place? must be that they applied the simanim, they thought that it was not a bird of prey, and then they saw that it was, uh, was a bird of prey, and they prohibited it. So they made a mistake. So Rashi writes, Since we're not, uh, it's difficult to apply the simanim, any bird that presents itself, we have to be afraid. Uh, cautious, maybe it is a bird of prey. They thought it was tahar. Later on, they saw that it was um, it was more aggressive. We cannot uh, eat any bird unless we have a Masaira tradition that this bird is not a bird of prey. Any bird that has no Masaira, we have to be suspicious of a Masaira. But if you have a Masaira, you can rely on that. Now that Gemara later on that says that a bird uh, can be eaten with a Messiah is referring to a different case. That's referring to a case where it does not have Simanim, but we have a Messiah that the bird is not a bird of prey. Not that, so we can rely on that Lakula, even though it doesn't have the Simanim, if we have a tradition, meaning it doesn't have the Korkavan, it doesn't have the, the, the Zekev. So it really doesn't have the simonim of a bird that's, uh, that's not a bird of prey, but we have a messira that it's not a bird of prey. We can be makel to rely on the messira. So here messira is a kula. Even though it doesn't have the traditional simonim, we can rely on the messira of the kula. That's the Gemara later on. So Rashi uses that same argument, luchumra, 
that even if it has the simanim, we cannot rely on the simanim alone. We need a Messiah in addition to that. So that's much more than the Gemara said, applying the same logic of the Gemara in the reverse. Added Lakula, Rashi takes that Gemara and paraphrases it or uh, uses the same argument, Lechumra. Uh, I was assuming that Tani Golta has a Simanim? We were assuming that they had, e- either they misapplied them, meaning they thought it did and it really didn't. Whatever it is, the Simanim you see are not sufficient. So Rashi says, because they made a mistake. So Rashi says uh, that you, it's not enough with the Simanim alone. Everyone knew Messiah was good if it doesn't have the Simanim. What if it, but Rashi is saying even if it has a Simanim, we can't rely on that alone. We need a Messiah in addition to that. It's the same myth. One was a male, one was a female. They probably had the same Simanim. So they mo- oh, that's a good. That's a good question. It's a good question. Female was allowed, huh? Then the female, the male was always us. I was asking if they relied on the simanim. How did they? So maybe it was based on the tradition too. Maybe they and the tradition was wrong, or something. Or maybe they just assumed. I don't know. It's a good question. So how do we pass in the Maisa? So the Shulchan Aruch does not adopt the Chumrah of Rashi. The Shulchan Aruch, and this is the practice of the Sephardim, Yesh Aymim Shako Oiv Shechartuma Rochav has a wide beak, V'kaf Raglo, Rechava Kishol Avos. It has webbed feet like a goose. B'yadu Hashem O'Dayres. We have a tradition, or we know, that it is not Dayres. Umuter B'achilam Yesh L'Shoshu Simanim Begufo. And we can allow it if it has the traditional three Simanim of the extra toe, the Zekaf, the crop, and the Kurkavan. However, the writes the Ramah, you know, echoing Rashi, We cannot rely on these simanim, even if you add the simon of the wide beak and the webbed feet. So says the Ramah, we have to adopt the Chumrah of Rashi, that even if it has a simanim, that's not sufficient. One has to have a Messiah that that bird is kosher. And to rely on the name is also not really sufficient. Ramayisha writes in Igor's Ramayisha that names change. If you, I, you could show you know, ten birds that are called pheasant. It, it's hard to know what, uh, which bird we have a Messiah on, and just relying on the name is not sufficient. You have to have, either have like a picture or to know in that community we always shafted, uh, we always shafted that animal. That's the practice of the Ashkenazim. There's ducks. They sell in these places, you know. Yeah. blue legs. Yeah. And they, and they, and they, and they, they're trapers all over the place, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So the question becomes, when they came to the New World in the late yeah. uh, 1400s, the Americas, so uh, they were new birds that were introduced on the scene, which clearly did not have a Messiah <laughs> dating back generations. The question becomes how to deal with these new uh, birds. And one example, of course, perhaps the prime example, was the turkey, which is indigenous to uh, South America, Americas. And it made its way back after Columbus came here and Cortez and brought things back to Europe. So they brought back with them uh, the turkey. But it really is not indigenous to Europe. It was indigenous to, uh, to America. In fact, I think Ben Franklin, this is an unsubstantiated rumor, wanted to make the national bird of the United States the turkey. And he writes in a letter to his daughter in the late 1700s, he was disappointed that the eagle was chosen, like the Ramban, because he says it has bad midas. It's an it's a aggressive bird. Why do we want to have that as our national bird? I, I was very uh, you know, surprised by that. Anyway, so he wanted the turkey to be the national bird. So you see, turkey is indigenous to America. It only became called turkey in Europe because when it was first introduced, and made its way through Europe. Um, so people thought it initially came from the Ottoman Empire, which is where many things came from. So the British called it Turkey, and others called it Tarnigo Hodu, which is an Indian turkey, or the Hendegehen. 
which means it's from India. So people either ascribed it to India or ascribed it to Turkey, but it was, in fact, uh, from the United States. So how should we react? What is uh, our perspective and opinion with regards to these new birds that are introduced on the scene that clearly did not have a Messiah dating back generations? So writes Rav Shloyma Kluger was in the middle of the 1800s in his Tshuva Sehelef Chav Shloymai in America He says he prohibited it. And he's relying on the Ramavi. We have no Messiah with regards to these birds. And then he says, That which the, uh, those who are permissive write, That they say in America they have a Messiah, that this is um, totally insignificant. Uh, and irrelevant to uh, Why? For two reasons, he says. The first is, even if in America there would be a legitimate, uh, genuine Messiah, to adopt that Messiah now in Europe, based on the Messiah that existed in America, he said, is not a simple matter at all. In fact, if you look at the Shulchan Aruch, Shulchan Aruch says over here in Simon Pei Beisif, Let's say one place has a Messiah that this bird is kosher. Can another place rely on the Messiah that existed elsewhere? So, he quotes a Rashbah that did not allow this. I'm sorry, a Rush that did not allow it. A Rashbah that did allow it. This is the Beisif. This is Shulchan Aruch. This is Shulchan Aruch. No, this was talking about a, an animal that has no simanim, but we have a Messiah that it's okay. There, everyone relies on Messiah. If you have a Messiah that it's okay, that's fine, even if it doesn't have the simanim. The Ramah applied required Messiah lechumra, but he's talking about Messiah lekula. Where it doesn't have the simanim, but we have a Messiah that is allowed. I don't know any bird that we eat like that. But that, that they had such a Messiah. We don't have our traditions have weakened. They've been more diluted. Amazing that you have no example. Right, I, I don't know. I mean, so, but but the Shulchan Aruch is talking about it has no siman and makurkavan and all of these things, but it has a mesera. So, can you rely on a mesera of a different community? Says the Shulchan Aruch, no. So, so the truth of the matter is, the Shach there writes that he understood the machlekes and we shine him differently. He says, really, there is no machlekes. They're talking about two different cases. Says the Shach, if our community has a mesera that it's no good. And another community has a Messiah that it is okay, we can't rely on their Messiah to permit it here. We have a Messiah that is no good. But if we have no Messiah, we have no knowledge of this bird, and another community has a Messiah that it's allowed, says the Shach, so they have more information than we have. Why shouldn't we adopt their Messiah? So the Shach allows it. If we have no Messiah and another community has a Messiah, the Shach allows it. However, if Shlomo Kluger doesn't go for the Shach, if Shlomo Kluger says that the Shulchan Aruch didn't allow, Shulchan Aruch doesn't seem to give you that impression. He seems to assume there's a Machlaikas here. There is no difference between not having a Messiah at all versus having a Messiah that it's a problem. He assumed that all were the same. So that's what Shlomo Kluger's first argument. Even if there would be a legitimate Messiah in America, he doesn't think it's so simple to adopt it necessarily in Europe. But then he writes in the fourth line, Ubar Mindain. He says, without this, even as, you know, Let's assume like the Shach. When can you adopt a Messiah from another community here? Is if they have a legitimate Messiah. You're talking the Yeshua Messiah me Bale Hashas It dates back to the Tanoim, the Amoraim, or certainly the Ga'inim. 
וגם בזמן הם היו רוב ישראל כשרים, because then people were by and large were knowledgeable and שמר תרא מצוות, והיה כדאי לסמוך עליהם. It was something to rely upon. מה שאין כן עתו, הנה מדינת אמריקה, and then he goes on to say such nice things about America. But, but he says the American community was only, you know, predated him by, you know, 100-150 years. It doesn't go back to Yom Kadmainim, and he doesn't think that the people who initially settled in America were people who could establish a Messiah. So Shlomo Makluger is very suspicious of the, uh, the Messiah regarding the Turkey, and even to adopt a Messiah elsewhere to America, to a different community, he doesn't think it's so simple. This has relevance, huh? No, we'll get to it in a second. We'll get to it in a second. Very good. Excellent. Yeah, very good. So this has relevance to other birds as well. For example, nowadays there are those who, uh, there are other birds that are presented, you know, um, uh-huh. there's a, the partridge, the, the, the quail, you know, the other birds, or the pheasant, which we don't have a strong Messiah on. And people have done research by talking to older sheikhtim in different communities to see if they have a Messiah on these birds or that bird. But to find a Messiah from one person, as far as a sheikhet somewhere in, uh, you know, uh, one of those uh, uh, communities that are not in the same orbit as our communities, is, is questionable whether or not we could import that Messiah here. Even if one will find like Rav Kapach, who was a uh, well-known Sephardi Paisik in the Yemeni community, had a Messiah on different birds that, uh, that they were allowed. But the problem is adopting those or integrating those into our uh, system is, is questionable because they have, first of all, they didn't require a Messiah. Sephardim, the Shulchan Aruch, relies on Simonim alone. And uh, his, his Messiah wasn't necessarily established based on the criteria and the standards that we would uh, employ, we would generally accept for our Messiah. So the argument of Shlomo Kluger is not only relevant to Turkey, but to many other birds as well. Even if you find some far-flung sheikhet who has a Messiah, to integrate that into our system is definitely uh, suspicious. So Shlomo Kluger was of the opinion we should not allow Turkey, and he uh, clearly did not, uh, did not eat Turkey. And there were many tzaddikim throughout uh, the last few hundred years who also refrained from eating Turkey. I've been told that Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky himself did not eat Turkey. And I've been told also Rabbi Shmuel Kamenetsky doesn't eat Turkey. His father didn't eat it. But then I heard... Huh? But then I was told that Rabbi Yaakov said it was his wife's chumrah, his wife's family. So he told the grandchildren they should eat turkey or something. I don't know. Maybe someone knows more about that. But there were always Sadiqim who didn't eat turkey because of this argument. Well, a lot of school is because that's what they had and it was available. Uh, and, but in, if you have a choice between something which you know is good and a questionable new item, and then why? And why? Why, why get involved? Uh, yeah? I mean, because the Messiah yeah. sometimes were out of necessity. Correct. Yes, we'll get to that in a second, right? The Nitziv, though, yeah. Are all 24 of those birds birds of prey that are specified in the Torah? Except one. Except one. Because I was going to say, if a bird eats grain, doesn't prey on other animals, how can it be a bird of prey? But that one bird that's not a bird of prey is not found in our communities, yeah. We can't. We don't know where it is, yeah, exactly. Any Ashkenazim Cholik and Lashi's Chumrah? It's accept- the problem is it's accepted by the Ramah. But we'll get to your point in a second. We'll get to your point in a second. The Nitziv, though, has a dissenting tshuva. The Nitziv who lived at the same time as uh, Shlomo Kluger, same Kufa. And he writes, uh, discussing the Muscovy duck, presumably, um, he writes in the last two lines with regards to Turkey, which is the uh, Indian turkey, 
that we all eat, I mean, it was assumed that we eat the turkey, or India. There were many who were opposed to when it first came from India. They didn't have a Masara. that there were those who continued to refrain from eating it. The minute clearly is to eat turkey, and no one makes a big deal about it. Why? It already be, you know, acquired a chazak of being mutter ve'ein raya osram. There's no conclusive evidence to prohibit it. What does he mean here? that since we already started eating it, he writes at the beginning, if you would bring it to me now, I would have prohibited it. But uh, people already started eating it, so therefore we can allow it. So this has been understood in three different ways by the community of Paiskim. How to understand our, uh, the minute, prevalent minute of being makele to eat turkey. One possibility is, and this is a historical argument, <coughs> is that the turkey came to Europe before the Ramah issued his uh, psak that you need a Masaira. It's true, Rashi said generations before, that you needed a Masaira, but that ne- didn't necessarily become normative halacha until the Ramah Paskin that uh, we need a Masaira. And the Ramah lived in the, was born in 1540, so he lived in the late 1500s. The turkey probably came to Europe uh, in the early 1500s, already documented that it came in the early 1515, you know, around there. So the turkey predates the Psak of the Ramah. So if that's the case, perhaps uh, what the Nitziv is arguing is that since it was here before the Ramah came, so uh, the standard that we applied before the Ramah issued his psaq that we need a Messiah might be different than after the Ramah issued his psaq. It's <laughs> so just a mashal amad of a daima, huh? Are the posts before the Ramah than Ashkenazi community? Yeah. So obviously they allowed it, but once no. the Ramah became... the only one that didn't allow it? I don't know, but we don't know what was before the Ramah. That was why he codified halachas in the Ramah. But just a mashal amad of a is the Gemara in Masech Tzchulin. The Gemara tells us in Masech Tzchulin that in the Midbar they were allowed to eat Besar Nechira. Besar Nechira is busted that wasn't a shechted. Once they entered into Eretz Yisrael, they were not allowed to eat it. So the Gemara has a shaila in the middle of the uh, end, of the middle of the first line. Boy, Rabbi Yirmiyah, Besar Nechira Shechnisi Yisrael Iman LaAretz Mahu. What about the leftovers that they had from the Midbar and they entered into Eretz Yisrael? They allowed to eat the leftovers of the non-geshachted meat. So the Gemara says, Teiku, we don't know. So ask the Rush, who cares? This is a once-in-a-one-time-in-history uh, you know, shiva where they're allowed to eat the leftovers of the Besar when they entered into Eretz Yisrael. So the Rush says, no, it is relevant for our communities, for our times as well, because whenever Chazal asks or something with the Gzera, what is the status of all the items, the leftovers that preceded the Gzera, like Bishal Akum, he says, or Chalav Akum, there was a time when that Gzera did not exist, and then Chazal instituted this Gzera. What about all the leftovers? Or so too with regards, we could say with regards to the Psak of the Ramah. The Ramah made a Psak, you need a Messiah. Until then, clearly, in the times of the Gemara, they were relying on Simonim. Well, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But but Lamaisa, they relied on Tzimonim until the Ramah adopted Rashi's Psak that we should we should require a Masaira. So what, this, the question becomes: What is the status then of the turkey that perhaps predated that uh, Psak of the Ramah? And perhaps uh, that's one reason to be more lenient. Another argument, or perhaps understanding of the Psak of the Nitziv and the prevalent custom to eat turkey, is based in the Gemara Mesechtas Chulin. The Gemara tells us Mesechtas Chulin Hashem Behemzun Sol Tzadikim Ein Hakadosh Baruch Hu Maybe Takol Al Yadon. The famous story of Pitchas Ben Yoyer whose uh, donkey would not eat from produce that had not had trumas and mitzvahs re- removed from it. So you see, if his donkey wouldn't eat from Tevel, Kodesh Baruch Hu doesn't allow the donkeys of Tzadikim to eat from Tevel, certainly Kodesh Baruch Hu would not allow Tzadikim uh, to eat food that is treif. 
Tyson says, of course, Chazal do make mistakes. It doesn't mean we're uh, infallible. But if something is being eaten in mass by tzaddikim, it has a... Uh, and has a, a assumed status of being permitted. How could a Kaddish Baruch Hu allow Tzadikim to eat this for so many generations? So Turkey was being consumed for hundreds of years in Europe, argues in its if, must be uh, that it's allowed. A uh, third possible understanding of what uh, of uh, the Nitziv, or a reason perhaps to allow Turkey, even though it has no, no Messiah, the Ramah told us we need a Messiah, we can't just rely on the Simonim, even though Turkey has no Messiahs, perhaps uh, the Ramah is uh, concerned that even though in immediately we can't tell if it's Darius, we can't rely on the Simanim to tell us, to indicate to us if it's a bird of prey, if it's been uh, you know, with us for generations and generations, we see that it's not a bird of prey. So, so too, one could apply that argument to the turkey, too. The turkey, they were eating for hundreds of years in Europe. They observed it for hundreds of years. They saw that it's not a bird of prey. Already by the 1800s, they've been eating in Europe for 300 years. So they saw that it's not a bird of prey. So it says in its sieve, we see it's not a bird of prey. Perhaps that itself establishes a Messiah. Meaning, perhaps a Messiah doesn't mean it has to date back from the times of Chazal that this is not one of the 24 birds when it's closer to, you know, the, the information that Moshe Rabbeinu had. Perhaps what Messiah means is a tradition, not that it's not one of the 24 birds, but that it's not, or, you know, more, more directly, that it's not a bird of prey. So if we could establish empirical evidence that it's not a bird of prey, you know, of the hundreds of years of being observed, then perhaps that is uh, sufficient. And clearly that is the custom. Ramosh and his tshuva about uh, Thanksgiving, whether it's a shot of Hukasakam or not, discusses eating turkey, and he doesn't even bring this issue up. So I've been told that Reb David asked him about it, and he told him, what are you talking about? In Russia, we ate turkey. So, <laughs> I mean, that's uh, basically the argument of the Nitziv is, Lamaisa, we did it. So if you want to understand that, because historically the turkey predated the Ramah, or because, uh, they've been eating it for hundreds of years, or it already acquired a new Messiah, the fact that it's not a bird of prey, uh, bottom line, it is permitted. There might be, though, a difference between the different reasons with regards to another bird, which was not as lucky as the turkey, and that is the Muscovy duck. The Muscovy duck is also indigenous, I think, um, to southern America, and uh, was not, though, brought back to Europe in the same way that turkey uh, was, and it did not, not arrive in the early 1500s, and certainly was not eaten for generations. And therefore, the first really Paisic to address the Muscovy duck were the Paiskim, uh, the early Paiskim arrived in America. There was a Rav from New Orleans named Rabbi Sacher Dov Ilui. And uh, in those days, you had unbelievable Tamir Chachamim dispersed throughout the United States. I mean, t- today too, but you know, in, in those un- relatively unknown. And he was had a smicha from the Chsam Seifer. And he was the first to deal with the issue of the Muscovy duck, a different type of duck. And he prohibited it because it had no Messira. He sent the Shaila to uh, Rav Shimshim of Fal Hirsch, and he concu- uh, concurred that since it has no Messira, we cannot allow uh, the Muscovy duck. But that's what the Nitziv was addressing. So the Nitziv says, if you would have asked me about it initially, I would have said, no, there's no Messira. But if it became the custom to eat it, so then he, uh, he argues again, perhaps, like the turkey. The turkey is the standard. You know, we all see the example of the turkey that we allowed, even though it had no Masaira. So perhaps the Muscovy duck could be included under that same, under that same heading. So in the later 1800s, the duck was brought on a boat, a male and a female, to Eretz Yisrael, to Shmuel Salam. I think one of them died on the way, but one of them made it, either the male or the female. And the, uh, that's the way the story goes. And he uh, saw the bird, and he concluded that it was not a bird of prey, and he allowed it. Not, and then, uh, 
Tzvi Pesach Frank, also in the Chuvas Har Tzvi, allowed it, and particularly in the 1930s when food was scarce, the Muscovy duck became more uh, popular in Eretz Yisrael. There were some uh, Hashkachas that allowed it, there were some... Um, and there were some that didn't, that, uh, that didn't. And that was, um, there were some cautious organizations that allowed it and some didn't. It stopped being used for the most, it was primarily used for faux gras, which is a delicacy of you know, goose liver. But I, I think in uh, about uh, 10 years ago, it stopped being used entirely in Eretz Yisrael because they passed legislation against force-feeding ducks, and therefore uh, the whole delicacy became... Uh, impossible to, you know, produce in a profitable way, so they stopped using Muscovy ducks even in Eretz Yisrael. This became, though, uh, a, a, an issue in America about five years ago when by accident or on purpose, whatever, the Muscovy ducks arrived in Schlochthausen in, uh, in uh, Satmer community and in Pennsylvania also, and they slaughtered them together with the regular, with the old ducks. So, and then later on it was discovered that it was the Muscovy duck. It's a different type, it's a different species, different, like turkey, chicken, this duck, that duck. To us, they're all birds. Right, but, but, uh, but the mice, there's a big difference. Yeah, it's, it's a very different duck. But the Sheikh didn't recognize right away. So that's some say, look, the Sheikh didn't even recognize it. How different could it be? But at the same time, when it was later discovered, so they made a big issue about it. And they argued that it not only does it not have a Messiah at the time, you know, when this came out, but the, the, the arguments in the pamphlets that were circulating argued that the Muscovy duck is also a bird of prey. Because they had, uh, they had Eidos from uh, the farmers that the Muscovy duck eats uh, mice and it eats rats and it eats uh, rodent, rodents but also eats uh, small chickens or whatever, little chicks. So the question is, does that make it into a bird of prey? What is a bird of prey? So look over here, Rashi. Uh, I'm sorry, Taisus and Mesechus Chulin. Over here, I said, I've quoted Rashi. What is a bird of prey? It picks up the food off the ground with its uh, claws. So says Taisvis, well, chickens do that too. So that's a bird of prey. Chickens, they knew were mutter, mutter and that. chickens do that also. So says Taisvis, no, what it means is that it kills it, it eats it alive. What was Rashi referring to? Rashi was probably referring to the difference between uh, claws versus um, talons, which birds of prey have. Have you ever seen like a documentary, they swoop down, pick up like this, you know, sheep or something with their, with their claws. It's a whole different type of uh, hand than a claw. So birds of prey have talons, whereas non-birds of prey have claws. So the fact that it picks, a chicken picks at it with its hands doesn't really necessarily, that's probably not what Rashi was referring to. But Tyson says bird of prey means that it eats it when it's alive. So they said, look, it eats rodents when it's alive. So the truth of the matter is that so do chickens. Chickens also eat rodents. And the fact that it eats some things when it's alive doesn't make it into a bird of prey. The Beisiyasis already quotes from the Rajbah, B'Shem Rabbein Utam, over here, Oisid Beis, that even chickens ate bugs and ate um, worms that were alive. And that didn't make it into a bird of prey. It really has to do with differentiating it from the chicken that we knew was allowed. Again, we're not discussing psukim in the Torah. We're discussing uh, you know, these clues that Chazal gave us to figure out which are those birds that were permitted, which are not. So bird of prey doesn't mean that it preys on anything like worms or bugs. It means that it fits into the category that's not similar to the chicken. So if a chicken does it, 
uh, then it certainly can be allowed. And chickens also eat these rodents. Uh, and whether or not it's a bird of prey or not, in America, Lamaise is the custom is that we don't eat the Muscovy duck. Some have argued that it should be allowed, again, based on, uh, on a different source, empirical evidence. And that is, the Gemara tells us in Mesechlis Bechiris that a trefa animal and a kosher animal cannot crossbreed. So if an animal becomes impregnated by, uh, you know, this animal, we could assume that it's, uh, if a kosher animal becomes impregnated, can breed with this animal, we could assume that it is kosher. Because non-kosher and kosher can't crossbreed. Even with, so you, the Gemara says that they can't crossbreed. So maybe even if they have no seam on them, so the Avnei are allowed turkey for this reason, because turkeys can crossbreed with chickens. So the Nitziv uh, disagreed with that. that. was the reason why the Avnei Nezer allowed the turkey. Not like the Nitziv, Lamaisa, were already eating it. He said, no, look, the Gemara says in Bechiris that they can't crossbreed if one is kosher, one is trait. So first of all, the Chsam Seifer says that's only by animals, not birds. Okay? That's against the Avnei Nezer. So Avnei Nezer said it's even by birds. But the Nitziv argued, no, it has to mean that they naturally crossbreed with one another. You put them in the room together and they'll breed together. Not that you forcibly uh, crossbreed them. And the turkey and the chicken don't naturally crossbreed. They might be forcibly crossbred, but they won't. They, they don't do that. Uh, they don't do that naturally. So, a question: How far to accept this gemara and mesechtes is How relevant is it to the Muscovy duck? Some felt that this is reason the Muscovy duck does crossbreed with kosher animals, kosher birds. So maybe that's a reason to allow it. Maybe it's not. The bottom line is in America, most kosher organizations accept turkey and not Muscovy duck. And the difference is because the Muscovy duck, I like to say, it was not as lucky. The turkey made it there hundreds of years before, and the Muscovy duck, uh, the Muscovy duck did not, and therefore didn't fall under the. A lot of the same arguments that exist by the turkey do not exist by the Muscovy duck. One final issue where this is relevant to the Gemara Mechiris and the whole discussion of Messira is with regards to animals. Even though the Torah provides us with simanim, some feel that you need a Messira by animals too. The Shulchan Aruch says that uh, there are two types of animals. Animals, of course, we know, has chews its cut and has split hooves, then it's kosher. However, there are two types of animals. There's a chaya and a behema. And with regards to the simanim, they're the same, but chaya it's, uh, has no prohibited fats, where a behema does. And chaya, if you shecht it, you have to do kisay adam. Whereas opposed to behema, there is no mitzvah of kisay adam. You don't have to cover over the blood of a behema, but you do by a chaya. And how do you tell the difference between a chaya and a behema? The Shulchan Aruch gives us simanim, gives us signs. So writes the Shach, and that's if, We only have that which we got in the Messiah, so it should be like birds. The animals should be like birds. What does he mean that animals should be like birds? That you need a Messiah. Does he mean you can't eat an animal anymore just relying on the Simanim? You need a Messiah? So the Prima Gautam says, that cannot be what he means. The reason we needed a Messiah by birds, you might confuse a bird of prey with a non-bird of prey, we misapply the Simanim. There's no confusion with regards to choose its cut and split hooves. That's obvious what choose its cut and split, has split hooves. Rather, the Prima Gautam says what the Shach means is, just like we needed a Messiah by birds, to differentiate between a Chaya and a Behema, you need a Messiah. But not to allow the animal in the first place, you don't need a Messiah. If it had split hooves and chooses cut, then it's allowed. That's how the Prima Godim understood. You can't eat the prohibited fats out of a Messiah. can't do the midst of Kisi Adam with a Brocha without a Messiah. But not that you can't permit the animal in the first place. But the Chaye Adam understood the Shach, perhaps Kapshutoi, perhaps not Kapshutoi but understood the stock to mean that you cannot permit any animal without a Messiah just like birds. 
And the Chazan Ish writes as well, we should adopt the opinion of the Chaye Adam. He was the Paisik Hadar. We have enough meat, he says, with the cows, the goats, and the sheep. We don't need extra animals. So Chazanish says you cannot permit even animals unless a person has a Messiah. This became a major issue in the 1950s in Eretz Israel with regards to the zebu. The zebu is a uh, cattle that has a hump behind its, ne- behind its head, as opposed to our types, of, uh, our types of cattle, our types of cows. And it was uh, an indigenous, I think, to India, brought later to Brazil, and then to Eretz Israel. Could you allow the zebu, which is a, a tougher type of meat, but perhaps easier to raise? So it made its way to Eretz Israel. So the Chazanish, uh, that's what he was writing about. We cannot allow the zebu. We don't have a Messiah on the zebu. And uh, Rabbi Herzog was the chief rabbi of Eretz Israel at the time, uh, argued with the Chazanish. He accused him of being over on Baltasif, of adding uh, Isurim to the Torah. Uh, we rely on the Simonim, and the Zebu has split hooves and chews its cut, and therefore Rabbi Herzog uh, allowed it, Ravosner allowed it, to a credible part, many, many Gedolim on the other side who allowed the Zebu, but the Lamaisa, in the end of the day in Eretz Yisrael, as we know, uh, oftentimes the Psak of the Chazanish uh, carries the day, and therefore the Zebu became a very controversial uh, animal. In Eretz Yisrael, but it's relevant here in America too, not they only with regards to the zebu. Yes, the by themselves they crossbreed the zebu crossbreeds, but also the American bison, yeah. which is a different type of animal than the European buffalo, which they ate. The American bison is a different type of animal, so there is no mesiris. The same issue as the zebu. The only thing is, here in America, most kashrus organizations do give a hashgacha on the American bison, because even the chazanish was hesitant about the zebu. He never really saw one. So he wasn't sure how different it was than the traditional cattle. He himself writes. He's not sure how different it is. Huh? I I don't know. So so if it's not so different and they do crossbreed, so then uh, perhaps there is reason to, to, to allow it. Because in it's not it's not that different than the animals which we did eat. And perhaps we don't accept the whole concept of Messiah by animals. But one final thing is, one final thing is, that, but that's true with regards to bison and uh, perhaps the zebu. In Eretz Yisrael, they don't eat the zebu, and it really never made in America. It's not as tasty as a cow. But bison has, uh, you do, will find here, and most cashless organizations do give out shakha to bison. But what is not as simple is the giraffe. Is the giraffe. The Pasuk tells us in Parashat Re'eh that one of the kosher animals is a zemer, which the Radak writes is the giraffe. But many Rishonim disagree and say it's not the giraffe. So a giraffe, many thought you can't shecht because it's too difficult. In fact, it's the easiest animal to shecht. It has the longest neck, the easiest animal to shecht. It's a mis- uh, misconception. So it's the easiest animal to shecht. The problem is we have no Messiah on giraffe. And to say, well, giraffe is the same as something else that is kosher, you don't have that easy argument like you have by the American bison. Maybe it's no different than European buffalo. Maybe the zebu is no different than cattle. So even if one will be mako by the, uh, by the buffalo, which the Chazanish might have been machmiran, but most kosherist organizations uh, assume you don't need a messiah on animals. But perhaps there's a different mitigating circumstances there. Perhaps it's no different than the European buffalo, but to allow giraffe, I think it's a much, uh, much bigger leap because there you have to really take a side in the machlekas where not, you need a messiah by animals. You can't conf- you know, say, well, it's included in some other messiah. And a giraffe is totally different from everything else. Do they keep that down by bison? I don't know. Okay. Did any bison in the 1800s? Were there a lot of bison here? Yeah. Early Jews didn't eat bison. Bison birds. Probably.